All right, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the story of Jonah, shall we? I think there's two main reasons why it's just fascinating, this story. Compared to when you look at other prophets in the Old Testament, I think there's two main reasons in my life why I just find this so interesting. Number one, it's a prophet who's sent outside of Israel. It's really rare. In fact, majority of prophets in the Old Testament um, are told by God what to say and then say it to the Israelites. They don't ever say it to anyone outside of the Israelites. Whereas Jonah was sent not only outside, but to the enemy of the Israelites. That is fascinating. That's really interesting that God would choose to do that. Secondly, it's a story that gets mistaken about kind of just one part of the story that really matters. Kind of, if you look at the majority of commentaries, you look at a lot of kind of uh, preachers of this, all they focus on is the fish. It's kind of that, that's the main thing they kind of just talk about. But actually, if you look at how it's written, the, the grammatical writing of it, if you look at how the story is modeled this kind of way, this whole story is so interesting. The argument about Jonah is not, was it a whale or not? The argument and discussion about Jonah is the whole story of why God would use Jonah to send to Israelites' enemies and to share the word that he did. It's really rare that you end a book and you're kind of just in this limbo of, I don't know what to kind of make of it. What kind of happens next? It, there's no real conclusion at the end of the book. And so I just want to today cover the overall theme of it. So as we dive into the four chapters over the next five weeks, we're able to just understand, unpack a little bit more about it. So let's take a step back. Let's just do a bit of an overview about it in this kind of way. So who is Jonah? Well, Jonah at the beginning is from a town called Gathepa, which is near Nazareth, which obviously would be later known as the region called Gallup. It's kind of where he was from. He was a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II, which is around about 793 to 753 BC. King Jeroboam, basically, if you read it in two kings, it basically says he was an evil king in the Lord's eyes. By the way, if anyone in the Bible in general is written down as he's evil in the king's in the Lord's eyes, you know it's not gonna go well for him. It's not a good start. Yeah, I'd rather be seen as godly in the Lord's eyes, you know what I mean? So that's what we know about him. He was evil in the Lord's eyes. And what you kind of read about is that he was very about prosperity, about materialism, creating this kind of wealth and, and actually didn't care for the poor. So there was this great split between those who were wealthy and those who were impoverished. And, and actually you just see this come out more and more and more. And what you read about Jonah in 2 Kings uh, chapter 14 is that he prophesied over the king, saying that he would prosper and he would win battles. And Amos, if you read the book of Amos, who was a prophet at the same time, basically said that the kingship and the lordship, not going there, good point. The kingship basically would fall and crumble away. And you've also got um, a name that as well prophesied something similar previously to that. So you've got these two sides that are slightly, well, what's going on? In fact, Nahum, his specific prophecy was against the Ninevites. And so the Ninevites would fall. So when Jonah is told this prophetic word, that go and tell them that I will save them, 
You've had two times where this prophet has slightly different words. What you've also got is you've got Jonah being very much a royalist. So if you kind of read and you look at the story of Jonah, his word was basically about increase the land and don't care about what else we're doing. Don't care about the welfare of anyone. Just keep on going, king. You're doing well. And eventually you do have that this king does walk. Right? So both words kind of come in. King Jeroboam does kind of pot him for a bit and then he does fall away. So you do have these kind of words that don't both come true, that both come true. But already before we enter this book of Jonah, it's a really interesting dynamic. It's such an interesting part that God would say Jonah, this royalist, this one who who hates his enemies, to go speak to the enemies and tell them that they would not only be okay, but they would be saved if they repented. That is fascinating. That's so interesting as a story. And should, I'm hoping already, it's asking, making you ask questions like, then why did he send Jonah? Why did he send Amos? Amos would be a better like person to send. Why did he not raise a different prophet? Those are the questions we're going to be answering as we go through the series in this kind of way. Kind of got two main scenes as you look at the whole story that literally are split by even chapters. So chapter one and two, James, if we go to the next slide, everybody, um, you've got chapters one and two that are talking about Jonah receiving a message, going not that slide. Oh, you're gonna have to go all the way to the end. Sorry, it's the slide with the table. That one. Thank you. So you've got Jonah receiving a message. You've got kind of Jonah's response to that. He then kind of meets um, some pagans, those who are worshipping other gods completely. The pagans respond to the Lord in a more better way than Jonah. Then God's grace is poured out on those people and on Jonah and is taught a lesson. And you have that first with kind of the fish, so the boat and the fish. Then you have that second side with the city and with, uh, with the plant. Kind of have these two, and literally if you read them, Verse for verse, I'm so glad there's clever commentators that made this table. You read verse for verse that literally it kind of parallels across in this kind of way. Which grammatically is really interesting as well. Because it literally is a parallel story that twice over God's trying to teach Jonah the same lesson. Twice over, just in different facets. One with a fish, one with a plant and a worm. But the reality is, it's the same lesson God's trying to teach Jonah. I find that really helpful. Complete aside. I find that really helpful because when I'm dumb and I'm thick and I'm not hearing God's lesson, I know that he'll find another way to try and teach me it. Like, if I'm honest with you, there's times where I've just kind of gone and been like, God, why am I still going through this? And really what God's saying is, because you haven't learned the lesson yet. It should be really encouraging that actually sometimes God's plan and God's lesson will be taught. If it takes a big fish to teach it, he'll teach it. And if it takes a city, a worm and a plant to teach it, he'll still teach it. It's really humbling. But God, God will teach us because he loves us. As I'm teaching Judah not to go on the stage, not very well, but I'm teaching him not to go on the stage in the same way God will teach us his lessons. Complete aside. Okay. 
Tim Keller also helpfully, uh, late Tim Keller, in his book called Prodigal Prophet, um, literally talking about Jonah, he, he writes this. Many students of the book have noticed in the first half, Jonah plays the prodigal son of Jesus' famous parable in Luke 15, who ran from his father. In the second half of the book, however, Jonah is like the older brother who obeys his father but berates him for his gracious, uh, graciousness to repentant sinners. The parable ends with a question from the father to the uh, pharisaical son, the Pharisee's son, just as the book of Jonah ends with a question to the same prophet. The parable between the two stories, which Jesus himself may have had in mind, is the reason why he called his book the prodigal prophet. It's really interesting, and I find that helpful, by the way, as we go through this series and we look at the stories, have in mind that parable. Have, have in mind of the prodigal son, because I find that really helpful, because one, we should always be pointing to Jesus. Two, because by understanding that analogy, when we then start to get to this miraculous thing of a big fish, we, we can get accidentally lost in that, rather than realising, okay, we've got one where a father's told a son, you've got to do this, and the son basically says, no, nah, I'm, I'm not doing this, I'm running away. And the other side, where you've got basically, in the same fashion, sin, by saying, yeah, I'm going to do this, but our works. And when you have shown grace, what's up with that? I've been good, why are you doing that? That's really what we get in the story of Jonah in. Yeah, so have that parable in mind as we're going to go through this. Okay, three things I just want us this summer just to hopefully unpack more and more as we go through this book. Jim, if we go to the next one. First one, God's grace is endless for all. God's grace and mercy is endless for all. God's heart is for all people, not just the ones that look like us. Not just the ones who come to Hope Church Seven Oaks. God's love and heart is for all people. If you're a visitor today, then lay anything else apart from the song that might be stuck in your head for the next day. May that land well. That God's heart and love and grace is for you. And it's endless. It doesn't stop. It's like a continuous waterfall. God's grace is endless. Jonah's attitude towards the religious and the racial different has been sharply criticized. And rightfully so. Though we're not really going to be looking at race in the church when we're looking at the book of Jonah, it's important to note that this book is helpful to be able to tackle that subject. Because any aspect where there was some thought of unconscious biasness or actually um, uh, some form of... Uh, I've lost the word. Prejudice, thank you. Some form of prejudice against someone who is not like Jonah... Someone who's from a other race. The book of Jonah makes it very clear how ungodly that is. And I find that really helpful. So Jonah's attitude towards that is criticised and rightfully so. However, too often, I believe, we accidentally do fall into similar traits. It might not be about race, but it might be about other things. I'm very happy to go and share about Jesus, but those people are not really in the same social setting as me. I'm happy to do with my friends and my colleagues, but 
go knock on houses and deliver leaflets, I'm, I'm okay. That's not really my type of thing. Church has been great, but it's been a bit different these days. It's a different type of vibe can be one of the things. Others are great for youth and kids ministry or to do welcome at the front, but it's not really my scene. It's not really what I do. These small things can creep in and can accidentally be seen. Whereas the reality, if, if God's grace is for all, then we are to share the gospel to all. And all are welcome into the kingdom of God, despite race, gender, despite age, whatever background you might be from. God loves all, wants all, wants all to know him, and therefore we are to love all. In every age, in every gender, in every culture. It's interesting that we can sometimes let our preconceptions step in rather than seeing God's authentic heart. And there is endless grace. Jonah 2 verse 10. Jonah, as he finishes, and what is the memory verse on the kid's sheet, it says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Well, if salvation belongs to the Lord, then he determines who he gives it to. And guess what? He gives it to all who believe in Jesus. If you're a visitor here, Actually, you're not sure where you are with Jesus. Guess what? There is salvation and grace available to you today. We need to know that if God is wanting or how do we do that? Well, the second point, I believe, is we all have a part to play in the kingdom of God. We all have a part. The reality is God used a disobedient man to save a city of very disobedient people from immediate death. He used a disobedient man, disobedient man to save very disobedient people. He used many ways of doing that. Storm, boat, sailors, fish, sun, plant, worm. Many ways to try and speak to this disobedient man and helping him see that he has a part to play in the kingdom of God. The fundamental thing is if we have a part to play in the kingdom of God, we are called to be beacons of obedience for him. We need to know that we we have a part. However weird, however far that part might look, we have a part to play. However small that part is, we have a part to play. I'll give you an example. I think sometimes on on Sundays, I love that we celebrate the band. I think it's brilliant. But truthfully, if someone wasn't at the doors doing welcome, then the doors won't be open. If someone wasn't here, if Steve wasn't here to set up the chairs, we'll come to an empty hall. It doesn't matter how big your part to play or small your part to play, you're playing a part. Same for the kingdom of God. We each have a part to play in the kingdom of God. Contextually, what that looks like, it doesn't matter. But that's the exciting part of what your adventure with God is. I'm called to be a cybersecurity consultant who works in London three days a week and three other days I work for the local church. No one else is. And I'm so grateful for that because that's God's adventure for me. What is God's adventure for you? And are you hearing what that adventure is or are you needing a big fish to come and tell you it? We all have a part to play in the kingdom of God. And sometimes that part we don't like. I'll give you a story uh, talking about New Day. Um, 
many years ago, uh, went to New Day as a leader, probably my first time being a leader at New Day. And they had different seminars. And one of the seminar streams that they had was about art and painting and drawing for Jesus. And I was like, ha, forget that. That is not me. I don't want this. I don't want anything to do with this. I can't draw a stick man. Like, this is not good. And we had all the youths go, oh, we'll go there, we'll go there. And I remember there was one youth member, one girl. She just was looking around and then was like, oh, shrugged and went off. And so I went up to her and I said, hey, what one do you think you're going to? I think you're going to the art one. Oh, really? Is anyone else going? No, so I'll go with everyone else. And there's a moment of conviction of going, it's not for me, is it, New Day? I'm a leader now. <sighs> Do you want to go to the art seminar together? I was like, yeah, okay, we'll go. And I spent the rest of the week in the art seminar. I'll tell you now, I hated it. <laughs> yeah? The story doesn't change of going, oh, I learned a lot. No, I, re I disliked it greatly. But it was not for me. My part to play was for her. As she can draw and understand how do you glorify God in creative arts. It was not for me. In the same way, sometimes our part to play, guess what? It's not for you, but you're called to play it. We don't like it, but it's not about you. You're not the main actor in your story. God is. You're the sub-actor to glorify and honor him. But we all have a part to play. Third point, just to close. I think this is one I just want to call out now. We need to be careful not to run away from doing tough kingdom work. We've got to be careful. Matthew 7 gives us an analogy of the narrow and wide gate. And the narrow uh, gate is worthwhile, but it's harder. It's a harder path to follow. And the wide gate leads to nothing, but it's easy. Truthfully, if I'm honest with you, I don't really want to enter the wide gate. But I wish the narrow gate was easier. I wish Jesus actually was, there's a narrow gate and wide gate. But don't worry about it. There's an intermediate gate that still leads to the same place as the narrow gate that you can go on and it's a little bit more fun. I wish that was, but it wasn't. Very clear. Wide gate, narrow gate. Wide gate leads to nothing. Narrow gate's hard. Guess what? Choose a narrow gate. And I don't like that. And so there's sometimes where honestly and vulnerably I run away from what God has, has asked me to sometimes do. Or run away from conversations that might be hard. Or run away from dealing with things that are inside that I'm like, I don't know what to do with. Because I would rather have the wide gate. The Christian walk has been very clear. It's a tough walk with tough decisions to honour a glorious God. It's not about religious notations, nor is about ritualistic alliances, but it's due to a deep relationship with a God. And because it's due to a deep relationship with God, it's about investing in a relationship with our God. And if it's, a, if it's about investing in a relationship, it's worth putting in the hard work for it. Because we all know if you put more work into a relationship, you're going to get more out of that. There's more fruit that blossoms from that relationship. I've really struggled to bond with my son sometimes. I've really struggled to bond with Judah. As he's been growing up, there's been moments where I've just gone, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. Wait till they're five. I'm, 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm great. But at this, I really struggle to bond with him. I would kind of get a toy and he would be like, wow, and then walk off. So I thought, I bought you a toy. Come, let's play with it. It's like, ah, keys. I'm like, what? Complete aside, why do babies like windows as toys? What's up with that? Yeah, you buy them a new toy, and for some reason, keys in a window or a toolbox are a toy. Anyway, just need to get that out. I would kind of just at times, truthfully, as he wanders off, I truthfully at times would be like, oh, I'll just sit here and wait until he comes back. Like, my legs need a break. I'm just running around after this kid. I would rather just sit here. But guess what? That was Jonah's attitude. <laughs> That's not a glorious attitude. No, if it's worth the relationship, it's worth the effort for me to get up and go and put on music and dance and sing with my son and have a laugh and wander after him and to sit on the ledge by the window as he's shaking it and pretending it to be a toy, just to sit there and to tickle him and to have fun. It's worth the relationship. Guess what? If God has asked you to do something, it's not about doing it. It's about the relationship. If, something, if, if God calls us to do something tough, guess what he's asking us to do? To put our faith and trust in the relationship with him that he knows best for us. That's the hard part to see. That's what Jonah couldn't see. What Jonah this entire time was looking at was saying, you want me to speak to the enemies? What he didn't see was, you want me to have reliance on you. That's the problem. That's the switch that this book is going to help us understand. Because I believe as a church that there are things that God is going to be calling us to do over the next few years. Man, I'm so excited for the series that are coming up. I think Ian's sending an email this week that is just some stuff that, I think so, cool, um, that, that stuff that is coming up. He is now. Like the next preaching series that we're going to be looking at, I'm really excited for that. The next sort of discipleship tracks we're doing. I'm really excited for that. Seeing where God puts us in terms of mission in Seven Oaks. I'm really excited for that. But guess what? All of that is tough. It's not easy inviting a friend to Alpha. But guess what? We're called to do it. Why? Because it's not about the invite that matters. It's about the relationship with God and saying, I trust you with this. That's what matters. Let me finish. Fundamentally, the thing that ties this all together is Jesus. Jesus alone. God made the toughest decision so that, that we can imagine and yet made it for the sake of us. Sending Jesus to earth to live among us, walking through the narrow gate and living a life of obedience. Jesus playing his part in the kingdom of God and proclaiming salvation belongs to the Lord. Yet more than that, Jesus stated, I am bringing salvation to you. Through me, you will find salvation that belongs to the Lord. And he lived the perfect life. And he died the most gruesome death. So that we, entering through the narrow gate, it leads to salvation to the Lord. He proved it in perfection by resurrecting from the dead. It all comes back to Jesus. Do you want to stand with me for a second? Just feel it's right for us to just, at the beginning of summer, Ian summarized it well at the beginning. We often treat summer accidentally like a break. 
Whereas God doesn't take a break on relationship with us. And I think it's good just to kind of spend time in relationship back with him. So what I'm going to do is I just want to give an opportunity and space. For anyone who's heard this for the first time, maybe you've done the Sunday school story. But actually this whole idea of, oh, it's a relationship with God is rare. I want to give people a space to respond. Alpha, the course I mentioned, which we'll be talking more about later on, helps us in just a way of doing this. Of sorry, thank you, please. It's called repentance. What the king and the captain of the story did is turning away from your old and turning to your new life. Sorry for what I've done. Thank you for saving me. Please help me to live a life for you for the rest of my days. Do you want to close your eyes for a second? This may be your first time, second time, a hundredth time saying this. It's always a marathon that we can continue to say. If you want to say the words after me, feel free. It's about a relationship with a God who loves you. Heavenly Father, sorry for how I've lived my life. Either running away from you or being grumpy at you. Sorry for the things that I've done. And I choose to repent from my sins and turn to you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for dying on the cross, for me to be alive in you. Please help me to live a life that honors you from today till forevermore. Your holy name, amen. As as everyone keeps their eyes shut, just an instruction, lovingly and pastorally, because we want to celebrate. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, for the first time, doesn't matter how young or old you are, could you put your hands up now while everyone's eyes are shut? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Great. Well, if you did, I'd love to speak to you at the end. Um, I've got a, a few booklets I'd love to give you. I'd like to encourage you to join us later this year as well um, as we look at Alpha. Uh, just because I think it's helpful to understand, though this is a step in the journey, how to take the next step of the journey as well. We want to walk well with you. We're going to call it there. Be blessed. Thank you for having fun with us.